Today, we had the privilege and the honor of interviewing Dr. Mara Oriskanen. She has been an assistant professor in oceanography at NPS since 2016. Her research efforts are focused on coastal physical oceanography and ocean sensing using autonomous vehicle technologies. Mara has earned her PhD from MIT and of course at Woods Hole Oceanographic Institution Joint Program in Oceanography. She worked as a scientist both in academia and in industry before joining NPS. Her passion is to educate and mentor NPS students and to have a, an enormous collaboration with our faculty and also teaching college and high school students and grade school students about the values of environmental science and the oceans. And she also, of course, works interns in the STEM education field. Working at this beach and other beaches has taught her an, an enormous amount of not only science, but of great passion and of the importance of our oceans. Mara, it's very good to have you here today. Welcome. Thank you for having me. So we're here in this beach. Why don't you tell us about the name of the beach and, uh, and about the history of this beach with you and your story. Absolutely, thanks. Um, so this is Carmel River State Beach. This is one of the many beaches in California that is known as a state park, but it also has a nickname on Google Maps called Mara Beach Carmel. So yes, you can Google this. It has 45 ratings. It gets a 4.8 out of five reviews. And it's named so mysteriously thanks to Google. I, my husband dropped a pin here and called it Mara Beach, so he always knew where to find me. And somehow Google made this public. So this beach means a lot to me because when I came back in 2006 to interview at NPS to see if this was the right fit for me for my academic career, I was taken here by one of, our, um, one of my colleagues in the oceanography department. And the day that he took me here, the waves were 25 feet tall. They were breaking amazingly over the point and Carmel Point here. And then when we got to this parking lot, waves were so busy. They were up over the sand that we're standing on now. There was foam everywhere. And it was really quite a dynamic setting. And I thought, wow, if I get to come here, this is where I'm going to take my students because they're going to be able to see real world oceanography in action. And they're going to be able to see the sand move and the water move and how, what a cool problem this is going to be to study. So here we are four years later. I have been studying this beach for the last four winters and have really enjoyed getting to play with all sorts of different technology in order to do so. Well now beaches though are not new for you. This is kind of where you, this kind of area is where you grew up and the whole inspiration of what the oceans and the beaches and the waters were. Tell us about, uh, about how you grew up and what really uh, captured your imagination as you went around beaches. Yeah, absolutely. So when I was born, I was born in Santa Cruz, California. Some of my earliest memories were being taken to the beach probably before I could even speak looking at giant kelp and big driftwood logs on the beach and just remembering the tactile nature of the sand. I grew up going to the beach as a kid. This was something that was sort of in my bones, so to say. And when I was in my 20s, I discovered, you know, in order to have a really successful career, I needed to find something that I was really passionate about. And it wasn't until I was sitting with my husband on the beach where I discovered, wow, you know, there's a lot of cool flu fluid mechanics here, a lot of physics and I bet I could study the beach. Um, and so this is what sort of sparked my interest in studying oceanography more professionally, and I started my PhD soon after that. 
So when many people listen to this, they think about ocean science and oceanography and about the environment and about the things of the science of the sea. You don't oftentimes think about naval oceanography. And so what's the difference for you with oceanography itself as a science and then naval oceanography is also a science and an endeavor? Absolutely. So at Carmel River State Beach, this is one of the unique systems in the world that we can get to easily and observe sand moving around in real time. From the environmental perspective, what I care about is the lagoon waters behind me and whether or not they have good water quality and enough depth and the right temperature for endangered species such as steelhead trout. I like to monitor how many times this beach opens and closes during the winter time, trying to keep track of how much sand is leaving the system over a long-term period. Over seasons, should we worry about this beach disappearing? How does this beach respond to things like climate change? From the Navy side, this is something that I've had to learn since coming to NPS, and that's been a great challenge and a great pleasure of mine to learn this. And my students have been helping me educate myself better as to what the naval operational needs are for beaches. And to put it succinctly, it's more with amphibious operations, with beach landings and or special forces in the water, trying to deal with the environment as they approach a beach, either in a contested area or even just for practicing down at places like Camp Pendleton. Um, and so right now, if you were to think about trying to have people in the water, you would want to know things about how big are the waves going to be? Is there a river? Is the river open? Because that might change your strategy as to whether or not you need to send people in the water versus a small craft that could go through this inlet and now all of a sudden you have access to this protected back lagoon. So there's a lot of different play here in terms of just the variability from season to season, but also from sort of beach to beach because you just don't know what's going to happen until you actually start to look at each system specifically. But there's a bit also, I think, uh, so that's great, and there's a bit of a, of, of a Venn diagram on overlap. Absolutely. Because in the middle of that is the Navy and the Marine Corps' interest in the environment and our responsibilities uh, as we go from base to base on naval bases uh, with, with regard to waters and the environment and good stewardship. Could you talk about what, what you know about that? Absolutely. So this is a new area for me. I just started working with a group down at Camp Pendleton. Um, they're out of Nywick Pacific, and they have been the ones who have been educating me as to the importance of base compliance for water quality. And Camp Pendleton has an estuary much like this one here with the lagoon, and it goes through this open, closed state where sometimes the beach is completely closed, sometimes it's completely open. Well, if they have issues with water quality, meaning there's poor oxygen, things go anoxic, animals and, and plant species start to suffer. And because of the Clean Water Act, we have, uh, we, we have a, uh, a need to maintain certain standards of water quality. And so this is one area where they are starting down at Nywick Pacific a five-year monitoring program in order to maintain this water quality health and try and understand this. What I am trying to, to do and to help them with is use my skills as a physical oceanographer to tell them when do you have connection between the coastal ocean and when do you have a closed beach. So one of the things, so we've gone from where you were growing up near water and then the inspiration of that and then your overall theory about ocean science and about how it also applies to naval ocean uh, science. So there's, there's also this notion about then if we go from those conceptual levels to really practical levels of the work every day. When I was in your lab, I saw a number of pieces of cool equipment 
and one of the things was a cool drone that uh, yes. you wanted to uh, try out. Talk a little bit about what you do in terms of the kinds of ways that you attack the engineering questions and, and the science questions of the oceans and of the beaches. Absolutely, great question. So in California, as I mentioned, this system is, is accessible. I like to come to Carmel River, but I haven't mentioned there are 200 and over 270 such systems in California alone. And so this is not a unique system. Globally speaking, these systems are all over the world in places like South Africa, the west coast of Europe, and Australia. And if I were to have to go to every single one of them to be able to monitor them, that would be exhausting and just completely impractical. And so one of the things in California that I have been trying to do is to use drones, to use satellite imagery, and to use in situ measurements to come up with this hybrid approach to monitoring them. So if you think about a drone providing just aerial imagery, I can fly with the camera, fly overhead here, I can do something called photogrammetry which means if I take hundreds of pictures of this beach, I can reconstruct the beach itself. And if I know where key points are, say this parking lot here or behind me, some parts in the lagoon, I can tie those into what is called a reference plane. And then I can monitor how much sand is moving around, how, how much is moving after each storm event, how much are the waves taking away, what is the river responsible for. And I'm taking it to an, uh, another level, too, in terms of the water quality and ultimately trying to tie this into the coastal ocean. As I mentioned, 270 such systems in California. This system is fairly small, but we don't know how this river plume interacts with the coastal ocean. And that brings in another area of overlap with the Navy as well, because the coastal ocean, if you think about polluting this with fresh water and sediment, that's going to change all sorts of acoustic properties when you get close to the coast. And so that adds to some sort of you know, uncertainty in terms of sound speed propagation. Right now that I know is a big issue in yeah. terms of trying to be able to sense the ocean. Mm -hmm. So what I've been doing with my drones is I've been using multispectral images to try and monitor things like where is this plume, how much sediment is it containing, and where, is the kelp, where are the local kelp beds, try and map the coastal ocean, which is much harder to do because you don't have those same reference points that I mentioned earlier. It is so cool to be hearing all of the all of the noises in the background that are both people enjoying the beach Absolutely. as well as uh, all of the birds and, and other animals that are all around here. So it's great to be out yes. here and doing that. So you were you went to MIT, mm -hmm. you were over at Woods Hole, and now you come here and four years later you were here. What have what has been one or two of the revealing new ideas or new discoveries? that you've made in these four years that you say, uh -huh, I have learned those because I'm here, uh, whether or not you're in Monterey Bay mm -hmm. or the NPS, two or three of your discoveries. Well, from a science perspective, I've always been very curious about how beaches actually build themselves up. How do you get water above the surface of the ocean and to what we're standing on right now? So this has been something that's been a perfect test bed to study because this happens all the time down here. So I can actually study that. So from a science perspective, I actually get to play around with lab scale models and with in situ observations for where that sand is actually going. And I don't only have one shot at it, I yeah. get to do this many times, which is really good from a science perspective to have that statistics. From the operational side, I've loved and enjoyed working with my students. I've learned so much from them as I hope I'm imparting some knowledge to them as well. And so learning about how all of my interests with sand and water tie into the naval needs has been hugely important. So 
Let, let's go one step further. Mm -hmm. Do you have a story or two about how some work with your students really produced some, an outcome that was measurable, knowable, and that you know made a difference? Uh, sure. So my first student that I mentored here for his thesis, I met him before I even stepped foot on campus. He approached me before I was actually a faculty and said, I want to work with you. And so I started working with him. We deployed some instruments. I had never done any oceanography in California. So when you do field work, you like to have a sense for how big are waves gonna be, what kind of sand is there on the beach, just to get a feel for what types of instruments are you going to need. I had no idea. And so I felt very green coming into the West Coast where all of a sudden the waves are much larger than what I'm used to and the sand is much coarser. And I figured this guy needs to have a thesis. I don't even know how to do this. And so between putting instruments out in the water and then trying to look at time series, we were able to determine that one of the key things that closes these inlets is actually the waves. And so that wasn't necessarily um, known beforehand. And, and it was sort of assumed that when the river dries up, the beach will close itself. But it turns out that that happens more than once. And so something else was going on. And so he was able to show through his thesis work that yes, in fact, during times when we had huge wave events, that was really critical for bringing sand up into the river mouth itself to close it off. I think you have a young Mara I in the do. background who's, who's learning all about the water That's and is right. enjoying it very much. So, so let's go then though to the next thing. So I asked you about your discoveries about science since MIT. What is it about NPS that was your big aha? Or your, and what is the value to you as either a scientist, as a teacher, mm -hmm. uh, as a scholar, to this NPS experience? One of the things that drew me to NPS was the ability to work with students of this caliber. I was very interested in helping out um, active duty officers. I thought that was a huge draw to come to NPS. Um, and so being able to come here and also learn from them I'm a little bit selfish because I usually like to learn from my students as much as they learn from me. I definitely see it as a two-way street. And so it was this perfect opportunity where they have operational experience. They've been out to sea way more than I have, and they can relate to me things that I've read about in textbooks and maybe not seen in real world. So there's definitely this mutual exchange of information that I just love. So the ability to be able to also bring these young officers and teach them about hey, by the way, when you see that, this is what's going on. These are the physics behind this. I've had past students reach out to me after they've had my classes and have gone on to their, their later deployments, reach back and say, oh, thank you for your classes, because now I can answer you know, everybody who's on the ship who asks, why are the waves so big? I can tell them what's causing these waves and when they're going to be expected to die down, and I understand it. <laughs> so that, you know, that's always very rewarding to, to hear in terms of you know, students finding things useful and important and being able to sort of make a difference with my teaching. So you've been in, in, you have been, of course, in higher education. You've been a scholar uh, on East Coast and West Coast. You've been in business and industry. Mm -hmm. And then you have this marvelous place called Monterey Bay yes. and the Ocean Science Consortia mm -hmm. that is in Bari, that's Stanford Hopkins, that is so many other places. And what is your, what is your sense about the, the collaboration of ocean sciences here in the Bay Area? This is an amazing place if you want to study the ocean. There are so many different institutions at all different levels, ranging from policy all the way to biology, all the way to chemical oceanography, to true physical oceanography, and beyond. 
So what's what brings everybody together and that's unique and where NPS fits in so nicely is we have a very strong physical oceanography department and we add a lot of that to many of the biologists in the surrounding areas. Biology does tend to be one of the driving points in the sanctuary area. So Monterey Bay is a national marine sanctuary and with that comes a lot of monitoring of endangered species and just different types of biological processes in general. I don't really know the biology so well, but I do know the physics. And so it's been great getting to know colleagues of very different disciplines, but overlapping with the ocean. There's so many opportunities to collaborate with, with colleagues here. So one of the questions I always end up with with our interviews, uh, with our interviews is your sense of leadership. So let me pause here for a minute. You work in a, in, in a very physical world, mm -hmm. and you also have, of course, the human dynamics of teaching, and you like to teach kids you like to, and, and adults. You, you, you have passion about your, your, your topics. And yet, people also, like, like, uh, like many have, have come back to you and said, thank you for telling me this thing or teaching me this thing so that I can lead better. What is your view, your theory about leadership as a master in the physical sciences and in the human endeavor of learning. What is your view about leadership? So leadership is something that's very important to me and I think it's something that I can model in my day-to-day -day life as a professor but also as a sort of mentor to those younger than me and starting off in their careers. Something that has been most impressive to me in my life in forming and giving me the career that I have have been the mentors and the leaders in my life. So. I strive to be a leader both in terms of the academic rigor but also in terms of just showing young kids that you can do science and have fun with it. You can do this and it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to suffer or have to work too, too hard. Science careers can be fun and things like this. I find it just critical to have that level of, of engagement with the community and I, I consider that a, a level of leadership that's, that's through action. Leadership through action, that's a, that's a way, that's a great way to, to think about the work that we do here mm -hmm. in PS across the board, so that's yeah. a great, a great comment. Lastly, what have I not asked you that you would like to be able to, to, to relay or put forth about, about your work and about anything else that is important to you? Definitely, so I think just to stress that NPS is the central point of so many different activities that we can do through STEM education, both of our officers, but with outreach to local communities. Just doing things at the beach also brings together people of policy from state parks, from national marine sanctuaries, from county resource management agency, and all sorts of people, beachgoers, birds, all sorts of different habitats. They all sort of meet in the middle here. and so. It's been such a delight to work at NPS and to be able to convey these sort of environmental perspectives to the operational side and vice versa and have that sort of intersection of all of that community there. So now what, what's happening? So for ocean, oceanographers, you mm -hmm. know this, and ocean scientists, you know this, but the, but the two waters come together. Yes. What's happening chemically or what's happening in a dynamic way when that happens? So in a dynamic way, you kind of have you know, your high school physics. You have equal yeah. and opposing forces. Yeah. You have rivers that's pushing and saying, hey, I want to flow into the ocean. And what do you have in the ocean? Tides? Yeah. What else? Salt. Salt. <laughs> but what other process? What do we hear? We hear oh, the waves. ocean oh, waves. Oh, yeah, 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 waves. Waves sure, sure, are sure. critical. Yeah, and so yeah. it turns out these ocean waves, which we go to the beach to enjoy and to watch, push a lot. Yeah. 
And so it's really this competing force between ocean waves pushing and the, the water from the discharge of the river pushing, and they kind of meet in the middle. Who's stronger? Right. right That's right. going to depend on what's going to happen at this mouth here. So the energy is, that is happening at, the, at that point must be very interesting. Absolutely. And it's so much the physics fun. Of it. Yeah, the physics of, yes. of that energy. So then, so now let us know then what happens then. So here, as we're approaching this part here, you can start to see across the way we have bedrock, which means these rocks don't move, these huge boulders. And we're still setting on sand, which can move. And so depending on the river, you can see kind of up ahead here, this part of the lagoon that starts to get closer to the ocean itself. Right. This is the old river channel from this past winter. And you see this kind of pile of sand here. Yeah. And that's what we call the sort of beach berm that is building up. It's a sandbar that essentially is building up, again, because the waves have become stronger. What happens in the summer here is the river starts to dry up. So we have very little discharge. And if you go to places like Garland Ranch, yeah. you'll see barely a flow, a little yeah. trickle through that creek. Yeah. And instead what we get is we get, you know, this river where it kind of turns into a lagoon. And that's so, yeah. So that's why they call it a river. And I have oftentimes seen it as a lagoon. Exactly. And so, yeah, I mean, I've, I've oftentimes been, been curious as to why it's called a river, but now you've, you'll let me know. Absolutely. So does, does the life of, so the life of the river and the life of the lagoon, mm -hmm. how does that, I mean, what do you sense about that? There's gotta be a sense of it that it feels different. It does, yes. And so when, you know, when things transition, it, it, it's almost as if a switch is flipped in this system. Yeah. It goes from this peaceful lagoon. You see all these birds behind us. They love to come here. The pelicans in the water are trying to rinse salt off their yeah. wings and yeah. take care of themselves. Freshwater is kind of an important habitat for a lot of coastal birds. We have lots of swimmers, lots of things like that. Baby steelhead trout are growing inside these lagoons. And then when the rain turns on and this thing breaches, all this sand moves away. All of the sand that we're talking about, maybe 20 feet down, no. is completely gone in the span of a few hours. And you have a raging river coming through here. People can't swim against the currents, they're so strong and it can do this in two to three hours. My goodness, yes. that's very interesting. So it's definitely a fun place as a physical oceanographer to come because you see such processes at different scales. It happens on scales of seconds to minutes, but then also on seasons. What happens over the season? How many times is it gonna go through this? How often, when? These are good questions, right? If you have people who are trying to approach the beach from the ocean, you'd kind of like to know if there's gonna be a river <laughs> yeah. or if there's not yeah. gonna be a but river. But all of a sudden it's a surprise. Exactly. And then, and then you get some problems. It yeah. is a very, it, yes, we don't like surprises like that <laughs> when we're trying to think about beach safety <laughs> yeah. of any kind. Of any kind, of right. any kind. Well, Mara, we thank you very much for this interview and it's been just fantastic. And being out here on the beach in Monterey is one of those great gifts and what a great job you you have. I want to thank those who have been listening to this great interview and if you have more questions about the ocean sciences uh, work that we do at NPS, please get on the NPS website and ask us those questions. We'll be very happy to do what Mara does every day, that is to teach and to listen, learn and lead.